0: So good to be with you this morning, and uh, I know it's a it's a three-day weekend for many, uh, maybe not for everybody, but uh, we are celebrating Martin Luther King's uh, uh, and honoring his life and, uh, and his work this weekend as a nation. And uh, we want to take a time to, you know, just kind of stop and reflect upon that. I don't know about you, but, you know, oftentimes, you know, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, you know, Labor Day, you go through kind of the holidays, and you're like, I appreciate the day off, but, like, do we ever stop to think, right, about what we're actually honoring and celebrating? And uh, I, as I reflect upon Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, his life, his work and uh, what he was uh, striving for. You know, and I think about our nation and divisions in our nation. Uh, I'm reminded of what God has invited you and I into in, in the story that God's invited us into. You know, the Bible teaches us when, when we give our life to Jesus, we're not just uh, kind of, you know, me and Jesus and that's it. The, the Bible teaches us that actually we're being formed into one new humanity. And he actually says that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, rich nor poor, slave nor free, male nor female. And, and what, the, what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Ephesians was that there's this rich diversity in the kingdom of God, but everything is unified around Jesus. And I think that's our heart as a church, isn't it? Uh, that we want to be a church with rich diversity and people from all kinds of walks of life and, and, uh, and, and backgrounds and different races represented in our church, different cultures represented in our church. How many of you appreciated Josue praying in Spanish last week, and uh, man, that was such a beautiful, I had a number of people come up to me afterwards and be like, man, that was such a moving moment, you know, we want to be that kind of a church, uh, and I think that um, I'm reminded this weekend, uh, when I think of Dr. Martin Luther King, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus, that we're to love one another as Jesus has loved us, right? And uh, we're committed to being that kind of a church, so we celebrate his life and his work uh, this weekend. Uh, how many of you have been, uh, how many of you, how are you doing on your, uh, your New Year's resolutions? Oh, it's quiet in here. I lost four pounds this week. I told you I was going to be accountable. You know, I'm not here next week. Uh, I'm preaching at another church. Pastor Aaron's going to preach here next week. So in two weeks, maybe I will have lost 10 pounds and you won't recognize me when I come in. You know, you're like, who's that new guy? You know, but, uh, but uh, we've kicked off the year uh, with a season of prayer and fasting and I don't know if you had the opportunity uh, to pick up one of these little brochures. We've also got uh, on our website at Seek First, um, so slash Seek First at the end. Um, we've got uh, a whole bunch of resources, but this has been such a great tool. Uh, I've talked to so many of you who are fasting and kind of treating the season maybe a little bit differently than you have in the past and uh, this has been a great resource you know um, this week we just took the time to breathe can, I, can we all just breathe man just good to breathe and then on on Tuesday we drank um, increased our water intake anybody drinking more water this year right and uh, excluded some junk food and sugar on Friday how or on Wednesday how was that you know, maybe I should ask, how are you doing on Thursday? <laughs> you know, a little cranky, right? Um, but, but what we're doing is, it's not just that we're going on a diet together, that's not what we're about, what we're doing, and we talked about this last week, that we are setting ourselves, we're dedicating ourselves um, to the Lord this year. And uh, this was just a little resource to kind of help us get to a place of just fasting and praying, and for many of us it's the first time, and uh, we actually gathered um, elders and our staff, we fasted on Wednesday, and then we gathered together in the community room on Wednesday night and man did we have a great time of prayer and worship and just standing in the gap interceding giving ourselves to Jesus and just dedicating ourselves as a staff and as an eldership this year because uh, we want to we want to seek him we want him to have the highest place right and uh, that's really what we're all about. That's what we're talking about this series. And uh, last week, we started by exploring this idea of what is it that God wants, right? There's a lot of us that start the year with our lists, right? You know, I want this this year, and I want this this year, right? And, but we stopped to say, God what, is God, God, what is it you want? And what God wants is to be with us. In fact, where we concluded last week was God really wants our heart, and uh, and we talked a little bit about, well, then how do we give God our heart? We talked about prayer. We talked about fasting. We talked about worship. And these are just three things that we can do to just kind of create an altar, a space, a place where we can give our hearts to Jesus. We can give our heart as the center of our being, the thoughts, the emotions, everything that drives in our life comes out of our heart. We just want to give that to him. Why? Because Jesus, God, he wants us to be with him. He wants us, uh, him to be with us, right? And, and we've discovered, and this week I'm going to talk a little bit about this, but um, I want to dive a little bit into the second practice um, and this idea of prayer. And there's probably no greater way for you and I to be with God than to be with him in prayer. Now, how many of you, and we talked about this last week, but we're in church, so you have to be honest. You can't lie, okay, um, right? Uh, how many of you would say, man, I could do better on my prayer life. I could probably pray a little bit more. Man, I could be more consistent. Now, keep your hands up. Everybody keep your hands up, right? Um, look around the room. It's okay. This is not one of those times, close your eyes as the organ plays softly. No, no, look around the room. Everybody, look around the room. Look, bend your head. Look. Look. Not, you're all looking at me. Look around the room. Do you see all the hands that are up? Like, here we are. A vibrant group of Christians gathered on a Sunday morning. Once in a while, we'll blast somebody at Starbucks, but for the most part, we're pretty good people, right? And we're all saying, or many of us are saying, man, I wrestle with prayer. Oh, man, I could do better with prayer. And the reality is that, you know, here I am, uh, a pastor of a church, and I'm going to ha- talk with you about prayer. And if you're a Christian in the room this morning, it's not like you're going, wait, we're supposed to pray? Like, it's not like this is new news, right? Like, this is old news. This is like, man, to be a Christian is to pray. Like, I know I'm supposed to pray. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And so the question this morning is, well, how can we go about doing that? Now, today, I'm probably going to spend a little bit of time in teaching and preaching, and then we're actually going to practice it. I think the best way to learn to pray is to actually pray. And I would encourage you, we'll pray a little bit this morning, and you can come out on Tuesday morning, come out on Wednesday night. Next Sunday night's going to be kind of doors off the building. We're going to have a great time of worship and prayer together. It's going to be awesome. Um, Those are opportunities for us to gather and to learn to pray together. And so we're going to do that a little bit this morning where I'll teach and then we'll pray. Um, But today, I don't want this to be like a drive-by guilting. Like, you know, that kind of like Jesus died on the cross and you can't spend two minutes in prayer, right? Like, no, that's not the point. Guilt and shame, man, they don't, they're not great motivators, especially when it comes to our spiritual life and when it comes to prayer. And so I don't want we're not going to have that kind of a conversation today, but I do want us to maybe dig into a couple of things and explore a couple of things around prayer that might help this idea of withness, being with God. What does it mean for us to pray? And I love this verse in Revelations chapter 21 uh, because this is God's heart toward us. And this is what he says. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. With man. Think about that for a second. God who spoke and worlds were created. God who oversees the tiniest microscopic piece of creation and knows the number of hairs on your head. God who, there's not a a bird that falls from the air that God doesn't know about it. God who sees all things, knows all things. He says, my dwelling place isn't up in the heavens, isn't in the clouds, isn't in some ethereal place. My dwelling place is with you. In fact, he actually goes on and he repeats it. He says, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And so if there's any question about what is the heart of God toward you and I, his heart, his desire, in fact, the whole message of Christmas, as we talked about last week, is that he came to be with us. God's heart and desire is that he would be with us. Now, if that's God's heart and desire, what's our heart and desire? Do we desire to be with him? Or is it a case of, man, I got it all under control? I got it all figured out. Anybody? 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 No, right? There's not one of us that's got life all figured out. And we need to be with him and, ex- and respond to this offer of him being with us. You see, it's impossible to do life for God unless you do life with God. Right? And so for many of us, we try to do things for God, but we're maybe not spending time with him. And there's no kind of guilt around that. There's no shame around that. But the heart, God's heartbeat, isn't necessarily for you to be doing stuff for him. Isn't even necessarily for you to be trying to live the right life and do all the right things. God's heart towards you, first and foremost, primarily before anything else, is to be with him. In fact, that's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Very famous verse, and you guys know this passage, but it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the key to your life, the key to this journey through life, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, right? The way things go, that, you know, things work out the way you want them and things don't work out the way you want them. All of that ebb and flow of life, the secret to life is to abide with him. In fact, the little Greek word that's used for abide there is literally make your home in him. And so there's this idea that's being conveyed by Jesus in John chapter 15 that God wants you to make your home in him. God wants you to be with him. God's heart's desire for you and for me is that we would be with him. And I think the greatest practice of withness, the greatest practice of being with God is prayer. But the challenge is that you and I as human beings have made that kind of complicated, like we do with most things, by the way right? We overcomplicate them. And then we make them into all these things that, that, man, it's just not, wasn't meant to be that complicated. It wasn't meant to be that difficult. But maybe it was supposed to be something a whole lot easier, a whole lot simpler, and a whole lot more about being just with God. There was a guy in the 1600s, his name was Brother Lawrence. And uh, some of you have maybe heard of Brother Lawrence because he wrote a very famous, a classic Christmas, or Chris, Christian book called Practicing the Presence of God. How many of you have heard of Brother Lawrence, heard of that book? It's a great book. A lot of you have heard of that book. And, uh, and Brother Lawrence was in the 1600s in Paris, France. And uh, he was one of these monks that had, he wasn't like a, a special monk that was like going out around the world or he didn't have like these special titles or special things that he did. He was like this menial monk that his job at the monastery in Paris, was just to take care of the grounds, to do the dishes, rake the leaves. That was his life, and this is what he gave himself to, that he was in the service of God. I'm going to give myself to just menial, normal, routine, mundane tasks, but Brother Lawrence figured out pretty quickly. He says, you know what? If I'm going to do all of these things, I'm not going to do all of these things alone. I'm going to do them with God. In fact, he wrote this in his book. He said, we ought to act with God in the greatest simplicity, speaking to him frankly and plainly and imploring his assistance in our affairs just as they have, or just, sorry, just as they happen. And basically what Brother Lawrence was saying was, as I go about my daily routine, I'm just going to be in God's presence. I'm, while I'm washing the dishes, I'm going to talk to Jesus about some things. While I'm working on my car, while I'm mowing my lawn, while I'm raking my leaves. Not that he was doing any of those things. Maybe raking the leaves, but not mowing the lawn and fixing the car. 1600s in France. They didn't have cars. Anyway, some of you are catching up. But um, point being that Brother Lawrence just said, whatever I'm doing, I'm just going to abide. I'm going to make my home with God. I'm going to talk to him as I go through my day. And some of you Maybe don't even think about God in that way. Or we get so busy and life gets so crazy and so chaotic that we don't just stop to say, you know what, I, I could just talk to God about this right now. I could just walk through my life. I could just enjoy and delight and be with him and talk with him and, 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 and just kind of have conversation with him about these kinds of things. In 1982, uh, the Reverend Billy Graham... He was invited to do an interview at the Today Show, and uh, he shows up in his car, and he's got his assistant there, and uh, as he kind of walks into the NBC building there in Rockefeller Plaza or thereabouts, and uh, he walks in, and, um, and uh, there's a producer of the show that meets uh, Reverend Graham and the assistant there, and uh, the producer of the show says to the assistant, he says, listen, um, we've created, we have a special room set aside just for Reverend Graham, and uh, he can go pray there before he comes in and does the interview, you know, kind of national interview on the Today Show, all the rest of it, you know. And uh, the assistant was, wow, that's so kind of you, that's so nice, but we, we actually won't need that. And the guy, the producer, looked all shocked. He's like, what do you mean? He, b- b- Billy Graham? Like, the man of God doesn't need to pray before he goes on this national interview. You know, I mean, he was kind of shocked that, that he doesn't need a special place to go pray. And, and the assistant goes, well, the Reverend Graham, uh, when he got up this morning, man, he was praying when he took a shower and he got dressed and he was eating his breakfast. Even in the car right over here, he was praying. In fact, more than likely, he's going to be praying the entire, year, entire time through the interview. What is it that Brother Lawrence understood? What is it that Billy Graham understood about prayer that maybe we don't quite grasp? And I want to suggest to you that what they understood is that prayer isn't just about communication, but prayer is about communion. Prayer is about me being present and mindful of the fact that God is with me every moment of every day and that I can talk to him at any moment of any point in the day. And just this idea that as I go about my daily routine, I can be in God's presence. I can be talking to him about my life. I can be bringing my kids before him. I can be praying about a situation with a teacher. I could be praying about our finances. I could be praying about something, that conversation that Jenny and I had. Like As I go about my daily routine, I can be constantly talking and communing with God. And for many people, prayer is kind of like this list of, um, you know, I've got to pray through a list, you know? Like, you know, I wake up in the morning, and I've got a list, I'm going to pray this, and, you know, 10 minutes in, I'm kind of done, right? Right? For some people, prayer is like two-way communication. Well, I'm going to pray, but God also speaks to me, and he speaks to me through his word, and he speaks to me by his Holy Spirit, and he puts impressions on my heart, and he brings verses to my remembrance, and, and God is communicating with me. But I want to suggest to you that what Brother Lawrence knew, what Billy Graham knew, is that prayer is more than communication. Prayer is communion. Jesus did it. Jesus understood prayer this way. It says in John chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, Do you not believe that I am, the, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And what Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples is that the prayer is so much more than me saying a few words to him. Prayer is even much more than God saying a few words to me. Prayer is me communing. It's this idea of withness. It's this idea that I'm walking. In fact, that's the metaphor that the Bible most often uses to describe our relationship with God, is that we walk with God. And I don't know about you, husbands and wives. You know, you know, I wanna, you know you're on a Hawaiian beach, Right? The sun's setting. I'm painting a picture for you guys, you know, husbands, wives, you can hold your hands, hold hands right now, you know, it's a romantic moment, right? And you're, there you are on the beach and you're just walking along the beach and there's conversation, right? You're back and forth and you're talking about some things and maybe you're talking about the kids or talking about something going on in life or you're just enjoying the moment, the sunset, all those kinds of things. And then there's moments when it's just quiet, isn't it? But it's still this communing together. It's this idea of withness that prayer is all about. That prayer is this invitation to be with God, to talk with him, to commune with him, to hear from him, to just pour out our hearts towards him. And, and so prayer is more than communication. It's communion with God. And, and Jesus, if you notice in his life, he was in constant communion With his heavenly father right i mean we just read he said i I don't do anything unless the father shows me unless the father tells me unless the father directs me well how does how does he then operate in life he's just with god he's hearing from his father he's walking out life in fact look how many times Jesus kind of withdrew from the masses and just was alone with his heavenly father. It says in Matthew 14, 23, and after he'd dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain and prayed by himself. Mark 6, 46. After uh, he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain and prayed. uh, Luke 6 to 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain all night and continued in prayer with God. Luke 5, 16. But when he withdrew to the desolate places and went and prayed. Like, God, Jesus, was always communing and in communication with his Heavenly Father. In fact, I love this quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. He says this, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Think about that for a second. Without any guilt, but responding to the invitation of God. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And God wants us, and we started the week out by just talking about breathing. God wants us to breathe him in as as Dave was leading us at the end of worship. God wants us to delight in his presence and to enjoy him. But the challenge is that for many of us, there are things that crowd in around that sense of withness. But I want you to notice that the disciples, isn't that interesting? Here were these disciples who'd been with Jesus for three years right? They had seen him turn water into wine. They had seen him heal all kinds of people, deliver people. Um, he's walking on water, for goodness sake. He's calming the storm. I mean, the very, you know, Mother Nature, like, is just responding to God's, or to Jesus' commands. Now, isn't it interesting? That, like, I don't know about you, but there's a few things that I would maybe have loved Jesus to teach me. Like, that walking on water thing, that's pretty cool, Like, can you imagine, you know, showing up at a friend's party, you know, they've got a, you know, it's like a swimming party, you know, swimming pool, outdoor swimming pool, you know, and you just kind of, you know, Jesus taught you how to walk on water, you know, you just show up and walk across, like, that's a great party trick, right? But isn't it interesting that the disciples never asked Jesus, as best we can tell, at least scripture never points it out, hey, teach us to heal people, hey, teach us to deliver people, teach us to walk on water, hey, can you teach us to turn that water into wine thing, like, They don't ask him to teach them any of those things. What the disciples asked Jesus to teach them is, would you teach us to pray? You see, the disciples, rabbis all prayed, right? And rabbis had disciples and they would follow kind of the, the routine and the order of the prayer that the rabbi would teach them. But there was something different about the way that Jesus prayed. And I'm suggesting to you, in fact, more than suggesting, I think that the Bible makes it really clear that with the, what was different about Jesus was that prayer wasn't communication, prayer was communion. Prayer, prayer was withness, being with his heavenly Father. And this is what we're invited into. Now, we're saying that prayer is the greatest practice of witness. But if that's true, then why is prayer so difficult? Anyone else find prayer difficult? Like, anyone else find, like, you know, like you're five minutes in and, you know, oh, there's a, there's a bird out there. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, and there's a squirrel. Wow, look at that. I didn't know we had squirrels. Oh my gosh, the coyote just ate the squirrel. That's terrible, right? Like, like, we're so easily distracted, aren't we? Like, it's just crazy. Why is it that prayer is so difficult for us? Well, I want to give you a few suggestions. And, and as we unpack them, just, I think, a few things that might help us when it comes to prayer. Number one, prayer is so difficult because you and I are in a spiritual battle. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And doesn't it stand to reason that if God's greatest heart, his desire of his heart, is for you to be with him and for him to be with you, that then the enemy and your own heart, your own flesh, your own sinful nature, man, all of those things would align against you to resist you praying. Resist you spending time with your heavenly father. Resist this idea of witness. And so it only makes sense because we're in a spiritual battle that the enemy, our flesh, the world in which we live, would use every means possible to get us to be distracted and, 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 and not spend time with our heavenly father. Uh, now, interestingly, uh, in Daniel chapter 10, right? And some of you were like, yeah, I knew he was going to Daniel spiritual warfare. That's when they, you know, Daniel was praying, and he was believing the Lord for an answer, and it like, took three weeks. It was 21 days, and and uh, and finally an angel shows up, and the angel says, hey, from the very moment you started praying, God sent an answer, but we, I ran into this prince of Persia, this spiritual or territorial spirit that was kind of resisting me in this area, and then God sent Michael. The big guns had to get involved, and Michael showed up and, you know, kind of laid some wood on the guy, and he was out, and I was able to come and deliver deliver your answer. So here we are. And the point that Daniel wants us to understand and the point that we're being taught through that is that we live in a world. Now, of course, we're so kind of, you know, Western that, you know, we're very kind of empirical. And, you know, if I can't see it, touch it, sense it, whatever, then it can't be true. But the reality is that we live in a spiritual world and we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. In fact, in Ephesians chapter six, and you're familiar with this passage of scripture, it talks about putting on the whole armor of God. And some of you maybe pray that. Some of you have spent time and, and that's part of your prayer life. You know, each morning I put on the helmet of salvation. Lord, would you protect my mind? Would you kind of help my thoughts not to be my thoughts, but to be your thoughts? Lord, I want to set my mind on the things above, not on the things below. Lord, I put on the breast, breastplate of righteousness. Lord, protect my heart. Lord, it's your righteousness, not my righteousness. My righteousness is filthy rice, right. Like We put on all of this armor for a purpose, like, how many of you have ever been, like, gone paintballing? Anybody? We had a, we had a few more in the first service. That's okay. You know, uh, maybe you've been in the military, right? And you go to a foreign field. And, and whether you're paintballing or in the military, you put on the armor, right? You put on the helmet. You put on that kind of plasticky breastplate thing, you know, that I'm thinking, man, I hope this thing protects me from that pellet, you know? And, and why do you put that on? You put that on because you're going into battle, and you're going to stick it to your friends and get them as much as you can, right? Like, like this, this is how we do, right? So the point is simply this. Why do you put on the armor? Why does the Bible in Ephesians chapter 6 teach us to do that? Because you and I are in a spiritual battle. And here's what's so interesting, because many of us maybe think, well, yeah, you know, put on the armor. That's great, but I'm not really in a battle, you know. Um, Uh, Some of us think, I am in a battle, and i got to battle this person, and that person, and this and that, right? No, no, no. Spiritual battle. Spiritual battle, everybody. And as we put on this spiritual armor, it's because we're going into a spiritual battle. And here's what's interesting. At the end of that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, it says this in verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Look at that. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, all kinds of different prayers and requests, and make sure that you continually pray for the people of God. Like, this is the battle that we're in. This is the battle that we're facing. And so we find it difficult to pray because we forget the fact that we are in a spiritual battle But how many of you know that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead abides in you? And if he abides in you, you know, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That you are not left to your own devices. That you are given spiritual armor and you are actually given this opportunity to pray. That just the tiniest little prayer can bring darkness to its knees. That you and I can be seeking the Lord and realizing that our prayers actually have a tremendous impact. Prayer is the most resisted activity on the planet, right? And so can we just go into it with our eyes wide open to go, man, as I'm going to try to spend time with him, I'm going to get resisted, right? There's going to be something that comes up. But I want to encourage you to be bold, be courageous, keep pressing in to say, God, I'm going to just walk this out with you. I'm driving in the car as I go to work or, uh, you know, spending some time in the morning, even for you just to take 15 minutes and say, I'm going to carve this time out. So number one is that prayer is the most resisted. It's, we're in a spiritual battle. That's why it's difficult. The second reason is this, is that um, uh, you may not have noticed, but we're pretty distracted. Squirrel! Right? Like, we're such an easily distracted culture. And, and in fact... Um, a lot of this, in fact, there's a phrase. How many of you would have heard the phrase, attention economy? Anybody heard that phrase? Okay, I'll give you a little bit of education this morning. When the smartphone came out in 2007, so when, you know, not Bill Gates. The, the, um, who was the other guy? And it wasn't Bill Gates. Joe, Steve Jobs, that's the guy. Man, that, God, please forgive me. Oh, God. Bill Gates, giving him credit for Apple products. No way. Anyway, when Steve Jobs comes out with the, with the iPhone in 2007, right, From that point forward, your attention became a commodity that was up for sale. Right? Now, some of you have a flip phone. And you're like, what do you mean? You know, I mean, like trying to text you is a really difficult thing. You (laughs) know, look, $7 a month at Cricket, You can get yourself a smartphone. Honestly, go for it. It's great welcome to the 21st century. Anyway, the point being is that when the smartphone came out, that that what started was the attention economy, which basically means that your attention is a commodity that is up for sale. Think about this for a moment. Have you ever been in a conversation with your spouse? Uh, for me, it goes something like this. Honey, I really need a pair of those Bluntstone boots. They're just so cool looking, you know. And then I go on my social media like an hour later and all of a sudden, there's like Bluntstone boots on my, on my social media feed. I'm like, were they listening to me? Like, what is going on here, right? Or, or you may not be aware of this, and I hope I'm not going to ruin this for you, right? But if you play, you know, games on your phone, how many of you play games on your phone, Solitaire, we can go old school, and Angry Birds, right? All those kind of games, right? You need to understand that the developers behind those games, they know how long you will spend on a level before you will give up. Right? And so you, you, you play that level and you fail, which is very common for me. In fact, I was doing this yesterday. I was laying on my bed and I was playing solitaire, you know? And, uh, and every time I fail, I have to go back through a set of ads, right? And then I get to play that level again, right? And I keep playing it and I'm just about to go, I think I'm done. Or, or maybe, I don't know about you, but this is how I do it. Um, if I win, then I'll be done. Anybody else do that, right? <laughs> if I win this round, then I'm done, Right? The point is that this is, it's terrifying and fascinating, but developers of these games know just how long you will stay on that game or stay on that level before you give up. And so right before you're about to give up, they let you win so that you'll go to the next level, right? Kind of scary. But the point that I'm simply trying to make is that we live in a world that is after your attention because if it can get your attention, it'll get your affections. And then all of a sudden, we become, I need that stuff. Or I'm going to just spend a little bit more time. Or, you know, like, honestly, last night, um, Jenny came home from, from being out with a couple of ladies. And, and she came home, and I, I was like, man, I just feel like I wasted my day today. You know, like, I played solitaire, like, all day today, right? Like, you know, it's like, what a waste, right? And, and the point that I'm simply trying to make is that we live in an attention economy that's always going after your attention. Because if it can get your attention, it can get your affection, and God is after your attention. Why? Because he's after your heart. God wants your heart. And, and quite frankly, God shapes us in the quiet. When we're willing to remove ourselves from the distractions of life, when we're willing to remove ourselves from all the buzz, all the information, all the news, all of the advertising, all of the stuff in our life that we're just inundated with probably a hundred thousand pieces of information each and every day, where do we create space where we just remove all of that stuff and say, I'm just with you, Jesus. I'm going to be with you. And honestly, for some of you, it means, man, we got to carve out some time. For some of you, it means, man, I'm going to get a journal. For some of you, it means, I'm not going to read the Bible on my phone anymore. and I'm not knocking technology. I have an iPad and an iPhone and all that stuff. I'm not knocking it. But maybe, just maybe, set the technology aside. Get yourself a Bible and a journal. And just spend some time in a quiet place. Just reading, writing out your prayers, asking, Lord Jesus, I just want to be with you. In fact, this is what Jesus actually taught us. He says in Matthew chapter six, it's like Jesus knew the smartphone was coming. You know, I mean, the Bible says that he goes ahead of us to prepare a way for us. And so he knew that we were going to be distracted. In fact, this is scary. Do you know that the average um, attention span of a human being is now eight seconds? 20 years ago in 2020, or sorry, in 2000, so 21 years ago, it was 12 seconds. We have lost uh, a third of our attention span over the last 20 years because of the smartphone and how distracted we get. Now, that's bad news because a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. I mean, just to make you feel good. But Jesus knew this. And look what Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. Isn't that what Jesus did? When Jesus left the crowds and went up into the mountain, when Jesus got up early in the morning and just kind of went out into the desert and just spent time with his Heavenly Father, What is it that the Holy Spirit's asking you to do? Is it 15 minutes tomorrow morning before anybody else gets up? I'm going to set the alarm. I'm going to get up before anybody else. I'm going to carve out a space. I'm going to go into my office. I'm going to go to my favorite chair. I'm going to have my Bible sitting there the night before. What is it that you're going to do to remove distractions so that you can be with your Heavenly Father? Cue cell phone. Sorry, that was bad. Sorry, whoever that was, I apologize. Um, So, okay, so prayer, right? Why is it so difficult? Spiritual battle. Number two, uh, because we're distracted. And then the last thing is this, is because we don't always believe that God really hears us. You know, many of us grew up maybe with a dad who was, man, he was a good man, but you know, it was kind of like do what dad says, just fly beneath the radar and everything will be okay, right? Like don't go to dad, keep asking him stuff. And many of us kind of grew up with maybe dads like that. Maybe it's unfair of me to say many, but some of us, at least in this room, have done that. And there's all kinds of reasons that maybe we believe in our heart of hearts. Man, God, are you really hearing me? I, I feel like that sometimes. Because sometimes I've prayed about something, and I've prayed about something, and I've prayed about something, and I go, God, do you really hear me? Like, God, I just wish I could see you. I just wish I could hold your hands. I just wish I could just be in your presence. And God's like, I'm here. But many of us believe that, man, God, do you really hear me? And the reality is that God does hear us, but God hears you when you pray, when you talk to him, he hears you. Look look what it says over and over again. And I could have 30, 40, 50, 60 verses that would probably say this. Psalm 34, 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. His unfailing love continues forever. Psalm 18, 6, in my distress, I called to the Lord. My God, I cried for help from the temple. He heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Jeremiah 29, 19, or 12. Then you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to God to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God hears your prayers. God hears you. God hears your, your prayers. He hears your heartbeat. He hears the things that, that, you, that are going on in your life. And the reality is that we've got to overcome this hurdle of feeling like, well, God, you know, and there's the key word, feeling like God doesn't hear us. When clearly his word says over and over again, he hears me. God hears you. He hears you. He sees you. He knows you. He's for you. And I think that kind of mindset changes our whole disposition when it comes to prayer. In fact, his disciples would come and say, Jesus Would you teach us? And you know what I'm going to read, you know, because Jesus responded by teaching them what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed or have debt against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here's what I want us to do. Rather than me talk about prayer, and we'll talk some more about this. Pastor Aaron's going to kill it next week and do a great job of teaching us some more about prayer. But rather than me talk about prayer, I want us to just spend some time in prayer. And so I want you just to close your eyes for a moment, and I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to stop, give you an opportunity, and once again, not that you're going to stand up and pray out loud. We're not going to do any of that kind of stuff, right? Right. But this is an opportunity for you just to be with God. And he said, our father in heaven. And I want you to think right now about God as your father. God who as a good father has good intentions toward you. The thoughts that he thinks towards you are good. He has a future and a hope for you. Maybe you didn't have a good dad and. Make that a matter of prayer. God, I didn't have a good dad. Would you you teach me what it is to have a good heavenly father? Maybe there's some distance. Lord, I feel distant. I want to be near you. I want to be in your presence. Our father in heaven. Come on, you just, you pray. And you're just saying, Lord, I want you, you are my father. Boy, do I need a good father. One that watches over me and cares for me and even goes ahead of me, prepares a way for me. And my rising up and my laying down, he's with me always. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is ultimate. God is holy, holier, holiest. His is the name above every name. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Just list some of the ways that you're, so, you're just so grateful for God, for his forgiveness, for his loving kindness. Maybe there's something this week that you just want to worship him, exalt him for something that happened. Hallowed be your name. The name above every name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where is it you need to see God's kingdom come in your life in your family and relationships and at work and finances? Lord, I want your kingdom. I want your rule. I want your lordship. I want your will to be done. Where is it that your heart needs to surrender? Is there an area of your life that, Lord, Man, i got to give up my will. I want your will to be done. I want to follow your way. Just surrender. Give those things over to God right now. I surrender all. Every area. I want you not just to be Savior, but to be Lord and for your kingdom to be what rules and reigns in my heart and my mind and my time and my priorities. Surrender. Give that over. Pray about those things. Give us this day our daily bread. What are your needs? What are your wants? What needs exist in your family? Maybe there's somebody that you're in relationship with, a neighbor that has a need, and just begin to pray about that. Maybe the Lord's going to speak to you and say, Hey, I want you to go fulfill that need. I want you to buy some groceries. I want you to give some money. I want you to go pray for them. Give us this day our daily bread. What are your wants? God told the disciples, what is it you want? Sometimes God responds and he gives us. Sometimes God says, I need you to wait. Sometimes God says, no, no, I've got a better way. I've got a better plan. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Those that have sinned against us, those that have transgressed, they've offended us, they've hurt us, they've done something. But in the same way, we've done the same to God. And so Psalm 51, search me, O God. Go into my heart, the very crevices of my heart. Is there anything that I need to be forgiven of? Is there anyone I need to forgive? Is there anyone that, man, I'm going to have to go and ask forgiveness of of them? See, God's tender. God's gentle and lowly. He's merciful. The Bible says when we draw near to him, even with these things that are so painful, so hurtful, so just difficult, when we bring them to Jesus, it says he draws near to us. He begins to do work in us and he begins to do work in those relationships. So, Lord, we forgive. We ask forgiveness. And then, last, it says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Man, are there some specific temptations? Are there some sins that, man, are troubling you over and over? Man, I just seem to wrestle with that, Lord. I need your help. I need your deliverance. I need your help not to even give in to that temptation. Lord, I need that spirit that raised you from the dead. That same Holy Spirit abides in me. Strengthen me. Give me the power to overcome sin. And then that word, Amen. So let it be. Pray for God's blessing. Pray for God's favor. Pray for God's grace and his goodness towards you. And so, Lord, we do that right now. We simply ask you for your blessing and your favor. Lord, as we give ourselves to you, as we surrender our hearts to you, as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, as we make our requests and we forgive others, Lord, as we do all of these things, Lord, we're asking for your blessing and for your favor in a world that is so harsh, that is so broken, that is so devastating to so many different people in so many different ways. Lord Jesus, we're asking for your blessing to be upon your people. That, Lord, we could walk in the blessing and the favor of God. That even in those moments when life doesn't go as we anticipate it to go, we can still say, God is good. He has blessed me through Jesus with every spiritual blessing. And so, Lord Jesus, we simply say thank you for this time with you in Jesus' name. And everybody said,